Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nowhere Podcast. Technology is constantly running in the background of our lives, yet for most of us, it's invisible. On Nowhere, we explore the intended and unintended influences that geospatial technology has on the real world. These are the stories of how geospatial tech unexpectedly affects our lives. I'm Jonathan Neufeld, your host, and today my guest is Maggie Colley, Executive Director of OpenStreetMaps USA. Hi, Maggie. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So for our listeners who don't know, what is OpenStreetMaps? Do you think there's still people that don't know about OpenStreetMap? I think there's one or two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for all those folks, welcome, because uh, I think once you figure out what it is, you'll be pretty excited. Some people call it the Wikipedia of maps. What it is, it's a data commons and a collaborative project to create a freely editable geographic database of the world. In plain terms, we're trying to build the best map of the world with the most features, trees, benches, roads, buildings, you name it, it's in there. I'd say the best way to learn about OpenStreetMap is to go ahead and edit it. OpenStreetMap.org, create an account, and maybe map your elementary school or a park near you. And anybody can edit this map, just like anyone can edit Wikipedia. As long as you can have an email address. So I think the minimum age in some countries is about 12 or 13. That's incredible. How long has OSM been around? Gosh, it was created in August of 2004. So that's what, almost 18 years now. It started as a project in the UK, but now has more than 8 million contributors. So I'd say that it's probably grown way beyond the founders' wildest dreams. And some people say that OpenStreetMap has completely disrupted the power dynamic of who controls geospatial data. And that's one of the reasons I love it. I think that's such a cool aspect of it. And so for people who might not be aware, why should they care about OSM? When why should they care about this ability to edit the map? This one I could talk about for a while. OpenStreetMap has become a resource for people all over the world to not only add data, but use it downstream for analysis, to make their own maps and apps. It's helped solve problems and inform decision-making around the world. Its participatory mapping structure allows locals and recognizes that local folks really hold the most accurate knowledge of their local environments. And maps created by these local communities really show the place in which they live and really show the features that the communities themselves find important. That's really cool. One of the things I like looking at in this podcast is how technology reflects the values of our societies. And so you're saying that every local community has the ability to kind of encode their values and their own style and local knowledge into the map. Absolutely. And if you see a place that's not mapped, you don't just call me and say, hey, Maggie, you know, somebody forgot to put this trail in the backyard. You could just log in and, and fix it. So it really creates, it empowers you to, to participate in the project and fill in those gaps. That's fantastic. And then where can we find OSM data in the wild? Who's using it? One statistic I just read is that more than 27,000 companies are, are using OSM data as base maps or in, in other downstream products. But just a few major sites include Craigslist, Amazon, Wikipedia, Snapchat, Grab or Uber. You'll see it in the news on like the Washington Post or on a weather app like Weather Underground. Most of the hiking apps that people use also use OpenStreetMap. That's super cool. I love that people have the ability to contribute to it freely, can use it freely, and this data can find its way into all kinds of unexpected places. Absolutely. We also say, you know, take a picture of where you saw OpenStreetMap in the wild and what people are doing with it. And it actually keeps me going in this role, at least. Fantastic. Now, recently, you had an encounter with some federal land managers who weren't too happy about all the traffic on their land. Can you tell me about that? Sure. This is a... Current one of my favorite initiatives that we're working on is about this time last year almost. I got an email that started, Dear OpenStreetMap, <laughs> from a backcountry coordinator for the Southeast Utah National Parks. 
And I know a lot of people have probably seen in the news. I mean, we, at least in the U.S., and I'm probably all over the world, are flooding our national parks in numbers that have not been seen in decades. So her email went on to explain, you know, these unprecedented levels of visitation and the challenges it's presenting to land managers to continue, you know, protecting the areas while promoting visitor safety. She mentioned that many of the apps that I, you know, was talking about earlier base their trail data directly on OpenStreetMap. So whatever's in OpenStreetMap is being pulled into that app. And, you know, people are following the line on the map, often blindly and often into dangerous paths. So when the woman from the National Parks reached out, she said, how can we collaborate? What can you do as OpenStreetMap to fix this? So some people would call you up and say, hey, Maggie, can you put this on the map? And it sounds like she was saying, hey, Maggie, can you take this off the map? Yeah. So did you just take their trails off the map? Can't really do that. That's that's a tricky thing. Well, and the crazy thing was nearly a month later, I received almost the same exact email from someone from U.S. Forest Service, which you know really underlined to me something needs to be done about this problem. So let me see if I have this right. People were adding trails to the map that because they knew them and they were locals, or perhaps they were using some sort of activity tracking app that kind of knew where they were and was was adding it then into the data. The data was into OSM. The trails got marked as hiking trails. And then once it was in OSM, these hiking app companies would pull the database down and render it as a trail. So people who might be new to the area were getting out onto these trails, which looked very official on the map, but maybe weren't. It sounds like this led to a lot more people using the trails and kind of raising the the ire of these land managers. Yes, you got it. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, that's a sticky situation. So what did you do about it? Did you, you, you said you couldn't just take the data off the map. So what happened? Right. I mean, when you see an empty space on OpenStreetMap, is your map where the initial reaction is to fill it? So it made me take a step back. You know, in this role, OpenStreetMap US convenes people to you know, share their problems and support collaboration. We don't tell people what to map. But it also begs that question of like, with such an open data set, with these millions of contributors, like who should take responsibility? I mean, my answer is always we all should. But, you know, what does that look like? So my first step was, okay, well, let's share this story. And OpenStreetMap US has a monthly virtual mappy hour, and we, we often invite speakers. So I invited the women from Southeast Utah to present to us, you know, share some screen captures of what it looked like on the map, and just share the problem with, with anyone, everyone in the room. And we recorded it, and we posted it on our YouTube and everything. So you know, I thought about who might want to be in the room. I posted it for September, so we had a couple months to encourage people to show up. And how did it go? Did that talk have an effect? I'd say I was pretty nervous. I mean, you know, you're inviting all of these stakeholders who have different reasons to be in the room to kind of get in a room and, and complain <laughs> and, and to hear about the problem and potentially point fingers. But it went really well. I think everyone really felt for the problems that park rangers and, and land managers are having in this. It's kind of this paradox, right? You want people to visit the parks, but you also need ways to direct those higher numbers of traffic. So by the end of that hour, we had so much great discussion. I said, you know, I'm going to put out a poll and anyone who'd like to continue this discussion as a trails working group, OpenStreetMap US would love to host that conversation. So it became really clear that this was issues that were being faced by people all over the country. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting outcome because we were seeing the same thing here during COVID. Our national parks and wild areas were exploding as people were convening and, and getting outdoors and going somewhere new. 
but they often didn't know where to go or didn't know the etiquette and and the land was kind of getting overrun, right? And I, I believe people should have access to the outdoors. We also need to protect them. And it sounds like this group was of that same opinion and wanted to protect the land while ensuring people could get out and enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are a couple of anecdotes I could share, but, you know, reasons people wanted to be part of the conversation. You know, it wasn't just the parks folks and the land managers who have to, you know, help manage the, the spaces or even the mappers. One of our main contributors right now that's helping to facilitate the conversations, Diane, she's an avid mountain biker. She told me a story and you know, she was mountain biking near Moab. And if anybody hasn't been there, it's gorgeous. It's sandstone and, you know, all this very dry, <laughs> considering where I come from. But she was mountain biking up a pass and another mountain biker was coming down. And, you know, I guess there's a rule there. With, if you're going up, the person coming down yields to you because it's harder to go up. Well, the, the woman coming down sort of did that, but she, instead of stopping and pulling over, she careened off the trail. And I guess she drove right over an entire patch of cryptobiotic soil. Sorry, what is cryptobiotic soil? That sounds amazing. <laughs> I love that I get to talk about cryptobiotic soil. So it's been called the protector of the desert. It depends against erosion, it reduces evaporation, and it it takes several hundred thousands of years to grow this crust on top of the soil. I mean, when you look at the desert, you're like, there's not much going on there. But any plants or animals and organisms that grow in a desert rely on this soil to survive. So basically, if you just have a stomp of the foot, it's irreparably damaged. Wow. So this soil takes thousands of years to generate. And unfortunately, this, this lady coming downhill kind of creamed off into this patch of, of cryptobiotic soil. Uh-huh. And Oh, no. Goodbye. Okay. So what <laughs> happened after that? Well, I mean, this, this led Diane to say, we need to figure out how to like, you know, in, you know, educate people about this, number one, and, and tell people why it's so important to stay on a trail. Even widening trails can really impact the ecosystem, right? You know, if three people are walking along and then there's a dog walking along the side. There goes that cryptobiotic soil. Mm-hmm. It became clear that there's, you know, very many legs to this soil, right? There's the users, there's the maps, there's the education, and a lot goes into a national park that we don't really think about. Right. And so now you have a working group with land managers, mappers, enthusiasts, cryptobiotic soil experts. Uh, <laughs> you have a whole range of people who are volunteering their time to work together, right, to, to make this a better situation for everyone. Yeah. Definitely. What we really realized early on is it, it does it. This finding a solution requires participation and buy-in from public, private, OSM contributors, hikers. You know, we're, there's a lot of nuance when it comes to these parts, especially given the vast differences in geography across the United States. But we kind of narrowed it down on going into the tech side of things to more of a three-part problem. OpenStream Map Data has a tagging schema. So for everything that you add, there's things you can add. What's the terrain of the trail? Here's the operator of the trail. So there's already a pretty good tagging scheme for creating trails metadata in OpenStreetMap. One of the issues though is that if you just put the line on the map and you don't add that metadata or you tag it incorrectly, you don't know what's going on there. So that's one part of it. Another challenge is, you know, once the data is there and it's tagged or not tagged, how will it be rendered by those third-party apps? Will it be a bold line? Will it be for the cartographers out there, you know, this challenge? Do you do a dotted line? How do you show the prominence of that trail on a map. Right. And perhaps as a mapper, how do you know? You know, if, if you're not a hiking enthusiast, but you're a mapping enthusiast, how do you know the prominence? Exactly. So then, you know, the third part of that is, does this align with where parks and land managers actually want people to be going? So does it, is it ground truth? Is that trail closed? Is there a fire? Is there a bridge out that's being like washed away and you know, people have to cross a four foot 
deep river. <laughs> right. Right. And that, that's obviously a big safety hazard, right? And if you have someone who's maybe using one of these hiking apps and is not an avid hiker and perhaps is not aware of the conditions, they could get themselves into a lot of trouble. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and safety was one of the main reasons this conversation first started. People were finding themselves up a mountain and kind of in these precariously perched situations and not really figuring out how to get out of them. Like they shouldn't have been there in the first place either. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's what happens when you follow the line and, and you don't know where it goes. Yeah, follow the balancing ball. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So with this working group and all of these people in the room now, what kind of progress are you making? What's your experience been? It's almost snowballing. It's this emerging opportunity and for both collaboration and, like I said, that stewardship piece. 18 people filled out that initial schedule poll back in September. My invite now is up to 56 people that want to meet twice a week. And, and really, it just continues to grow. We're meeting twice a month, not twice a week. That's a lot. <laughs> so, you know, we have app companies, government representatives, outdoor enthusiasts, mappers, really everyone who wants to come in the room and address this challenge and has been really great to convene everyone and, and have this conversation. So action items, though, <laughs> we have to find a pilot area in Washington State in one of the parks there. And we're going to work on you know, completing the tagging. So we're like making sure all the trails that we're looking at have those tags and then working with the rendering apps to say, does this rendering work for your app? But then also talking to the land managers to say, does this rendering effectively direct that traffic to the trails that you want people to use? We're conducting a small pilot right now, but once we finish this and assess those outcomes, like we'd be looking to expand the efforts all across the country. So we're going to need even more people involved. That's awesome. I, well, I love that you're getting people involved and that, and that you have folks you know, signing up and volunteering for this and that you're checking in with the land managers and the app companies and the hikers and the mappers to come up with a collaborative solution. It, and I think that really embodies kind of the, the ethos and the values of OpenStreetMap, where it, it is participatory and anyone can contribute, right? But you also all get to work together on it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been really encouraging. And in my head, what else can we figure out to fix? You know, well, it's stupid trails, but what else out there? We can we have an impact, but... <laughs> What, one thing at a time, hey? Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I think it does demonstrate that it's an effective model, though, for collaboration in mapping and presenting our world to people who might not be familiar with maps or how they get created. Absolutely. And you know, the thing for me is it really extrapolates that impact. I tend to get into the nitty gritty and talk about data standards and tagging. And you know, there's so many out there hiking with their dog. They're like, we don't really care about that, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> But also, can you render this line the way I'd like it to be so I know what kind of trail it is? Right. <laughs> yeah. Have you converted people into mappers through this process? I mean, I would expect the land managers before probably weren't OSM editors. Have you seen kind of an upswing in people engaging with the map and, and having their say? I think that's hopefully our, our next big step. We do have an education working group and also some other things to hopefully bring OpenStreetMap to those land managers and do some some education campaigns around how all the participants can be mappers. But it's it's a big lift. I mean, we can't rely on park rangers to keep the trails safe and also map them. Exactly. And in my experience, park rangers want to be out in the park, not in the office doing mapping. Right. So it's going to continue to be a collaborative effort. And I would really like to see the education piece come in, you know, maybe after the pilot to once we have something to 
share with people to say, this is, this is how we can correctly tag these trails. This is how you can participate if you're in the park. And then I know you're executive director with OpenStreetMap USA. So how does this then propagate out into the rest of the world, right? Is this a model that can be used for mapping in other countries and other parts of the world through OSM? I sure hope so. We participate in a group called the Local Chapters and Community Working Group, which is made up of leaders of different like country OpenStreetMap initiatives. And I hope to be able to share this case study with them at the upcoming State of the Map. And hopefully, I mean, if people hike all over the world, right? So if we're able to solve this challenge in the U.S., um, solution might look different in other places, but I think the collaborative model surely could work. Exactly. Wonderful. How can people get involved in uh, OpenStreetMap if they're interested? Depends on how they want to get involved. I mean, like I said in the beginning, if, if you want to learn how to edit, you can go over to OpenStreetMap.org and just make that first edit. And by doing so, I think you'll really understand the power of the detail of the data within the map. Welcome to join any upcoming events for OpenStreetMap US. We have a newsletter and we, we share events every month. And you know, you can join the Trails Working Group. You can reach out to me and we can talk about how you get plugged in. And then once we have some more mapping tasks for parks around the country, we can share those out. And if you're in one of those states or near one of those parks, we'd love to, to hear from you. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Maggie. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. This is the Nowhere Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Neufeld. You can find Nowhere at NowherePodcast.com, on Twitter at Nowhere underscore pod, and you can find me at John underscore Neufeld. See you later.